0: Dropout Podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. I'm your host, Brendan Lee Mulligan. With me today, we are so excited to have Satine Phoenix! Uh, Satine is the community manager for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, she is the DM of Sirens, and she also is the founder of Gilding Light.
1: I need to have a sound effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, we gotta have that just like playing in the background behind yeah. you. Satine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, we're so delighted to have you. Uh uh well we've already been chatting up a storm about Dungeons and Dragons uh and TTRPGs there go the invisible <laughs> glasses up the bridge of our noses um and I wanted to talk to you because you run what to me is one of the most exciting D&D streams right now <sighs> uh which is Sirens which is mm-hmm. this incredible uh, uh D&D stream you run 5e on the stream Oh yeah uh, and what's incredible about to me that I love and is very exciting yes. is it's all bards. Yeah,
1: bard multi classes. Some cool. of them, two of them are pure bards. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, and the two, are, they're, they're subclassed, right? So yes. what, the two pure bards also have some differentiation in terms of the subclasses they're playing.
1: Yeah, I think one is a lore bard and the other one is College of Swords and she's a belly dancer.
0: Ooh, yeah. very cool. Uh, me a little bit about that because this is, I think, a dream that every <laughs> novice DM kind of at one point has where, you know, because the classic standard of d d is martial character, sneaky character, divine caster, arcane caster, right? You kind of have those four quadrants. It's the classic d d party, wizard, cleric, fighter, rogue. And then at some point you go like, oh, what if I were skilled enough to run a game of all one class.
1: <laughs> I would never assume that I'm ever skilled enough. <laughs> ever. That's your first mistake as a dungeon master.
0: <laughs> but I think we can safely <laughs> assume Sate's a pretty skilled DM. I don't know if you've seen the I'm game. I'm always
1: learning. I'm always learning. Sure. I learn from other dungeon masters and players.
0: There you go, as do we all, hopefully. Uh, but talk to me <laughs> about what, going into it, what are some of the challenges that you found uh, and some of the like hidden and unexpected joys that have arisen from doing
1: a class-focused campaign? So it all came about because I was like, dude, wouldn't it be great to have like an all-girl bard band on tour through the Forgotten Realms? And I actually it was through Faerun because I'm an Eberron girl. Hell yeah. So, and I did a lot of homebrew over the last 30 years. And um, yeah, so I wanted to explore Faerun. And I was like, okay, if I actually have them on tour, I get to explore all these different cities and countries and continents and stuff. So that's how that came about. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, first, I don't like it when people try to fill in the spots. You can do that on World of Warcraft. You know, that's cool. That's what a video game's for. Mm-hmm. But I want my players to role play. I don't want to tell them who what anyone else is playing. I want them to be who they want to be and then work together. And then I, as a dungeon master, will navigate, like, how to build the encounters in the campaign just so that they get what they need.
0: Whoa. So that's very cool. Character creation in isolation is really interesting because I, I'm very guilty of this. I am always the player who waits to go last when we're doing character creation to be like, I'll be the cleric. Like I always, no. you know, like I'll always be the one that's like, okay, we need a healer so that I'll do
1: that. I don't want people to be a healer. <laughs> What happens if you don't have a healer?
0: <laughs> You're in a tremendous amount of trouble.
1: <laughs> but then as a dungeon master, you navigate that. So mm-hmm. you say, okay, how, if they don't have a healer, what can I do, to, what can I give them so that they take the responsibility of taking care of, them, of each other? Wow. Because they have to. That's the whole point, is that they're working as a team. Yeah. That's Dungeons and Dragons anyway.
0: Right, and I think it's interesting to look at that idea of teamwork and team building if you are not in this place that the game and the, the sort of balance of it presupposes you will yeah. be, which is like, oh, you're gonna work as a team because you all bring different abilities. Well, if you're all operating in the same thing, all of a sudden, you are it's actually increasing the amount of teamwork you need to yes. have, which is really, really exciting. Um, and there's something deeply gratifying about it, too, on a narrative level. Like, for me, the second I started watching Sirens, <laughs> I was like, all wizard game, all rogue game. Like, uh-huh. who doesn't want to run you know, the Hogwarts uh, uh, 5e? Who doesn't want to run the like, you know, yeah. Ocean's Eleven, we're all rogues, heist, <laughs> you know, like? Um, uh, so in your storytelling, uh, uh, what are the ways that you find having all bards, like, first of all, every single character's got high charisma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, like, how does that affect your storytelling in the
1: well, game? Well, I mean, just because they have high charisma doesn't mean that they're going to roll well, <laughs> usually. And for some reason, all my girls roll under ten, <laughs> unless they're like unless it's Kelly Lynn D'Angelo who rolls really high when she's fighting. But <laughs> great. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You can build a character that is the most buff, badass character ever, mm. but once the dice come out, like it's it's all. Everything's up in the air.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Boy, do I know that. Uh, And that's true whatever side of the
1: screen you're on. you know. But we call that rolling for story. So I encourage them to roll low. Roll low. Let's see what happens. Let's put a twist in it. And at first, people got really disappointed. They're like, oh god, I'm doing it wrong. I'm failing. And I'm like, oh god, no. You are Mm. not failing. You are making it more fun.
0: That's a really exciting thing. And that's something, because I, I love this podcast because I love, A, talking to other DMs, because you get a sense of all the different various ways of running mm-hmm. this game. Uh, but I also love, because you know the viewers at home, we do try to include, like when we have time to, uh, really concrete tips. And I think you've alighted on something really great there, which is failure is an aspect of storytelling. And if all you're thinking about this as is as a game, then failure is, of course, something to only be avoided. But yeah. stories thrive with failure. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, I think, really concrete thing that DMs watching at home can do to improve the quality of their game is when you are narrating a failure it should play into the story of the character in the same way that their successes do. So you have a barbarian, right? And the barbarian has a battle where they're just missing attack after attack. Now a novice DM might look at that and go, oh, the character's not living up to their expectation of their badass character. If you choose to narrate those nat 1s and those failures as you are in a blind rage, you are overextending, swinging, taking reckless attacks that cannot connect because your anger is getting the better of you, all of a sudden you've taken something that could be humiliating and shameful for that player and made it like, no, this is part of your story. You're not controlling your rage. You're
1: always, as a dungeon master, you should be encouraging your players. Mm -hmm. So there was um, Fury's Reach. It's mm-hmm. this show that I did, and it was uh, Erica Fermina's character was playing an Aarakocra ranger. Yeah. And there was a zombie brontosaurus with zombie goblins in its throat, and the <laughs> whole thing was gross. Hell I am yeah. so gross. <laughs> and the thing stepped on her, right? Mm-hmm. This big brontosaurus foot stepped on her. But the way I, I was like, I felt bad about it, because, well, I don't want her to die, and it was a short run epi- like show. Mm-hmm. So it stepped on her arm, mm-hmm. and so she took her other arm, and she starts stabbing its foot with a dagger and it's this giant brontosaurus so it feels this thing and i'm like okay roll a d20 and if it's high it it lifts its foot if it's low then mm-hmm. you know it'll do something mm-hmm. she rolled low it smeared her arm off <gasps> so it actually like you know so she wasn't bleeding out which was yeah. really cool mm-hmm. so she's a ranger with one arm and, but she has wings, right? Right. So she ended up. So like the, the whole thing is, I'm going to take stuff away from you, and you're going to figure out how to make it work. So it, I didn't take away her longbow. I let her use it, and so she you, would use her foot. Hell yeah! Right? Yeah. So. You got
0: six limbs as an Aarakocra, right? Yeah, you got yeah, the, yeah. Exactly. Wow. So
1: like, I encourage them to you know overcome these issues. That's really really cool, and I think
0: that it's one of those things where. Um, People want to feel like their character. People want to go like, you know, the, the idea. I just uh, introduced an old friend to D anD for the first time. This guy I knew only through comedy in New York. <laughs> he played D anD for the first time this last weekend and is fully hooked. Oh yeah! And he was like, it's like living in a movie. And I think that that's something we forget sometimes is that we want the feeling of living in a movie and when you're navigating failure as long as you make it feel like the appropriate story mm-hmm. beat you can do this stuff and and the failures all become integral to the character's journey. Yeah. So it's you only get in trouble and I think players only ever feel disempowered when it starts to be that like like oh you swing you miss you're you're humiliated you
1: fucked up. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you swing and miss. Uh, last night we did a Dungeon of Doom for Dwarven Forge, mm-hmm. and this halfling is running up to attack his buddy. Managed to stop, but he's a halfling, and the guy is like this tall blue guy. And um, I, if my people roll a one when they mm-hmm. attack, they do damage to themselves. So I was like, okay, you have your spiritual weapon on the other side of the room. How do you? How did you do damage to yourself? Yeah. He's like, why? Well, reach up to, I um, take a giant step forward to gather my my weapon and he walks, balls first. <laughs> and I was like, that wasn't me, he did that to himself and everybody loved it, because he knew it wasn't gonna kill him, but he could push it that far. I thought that was really great. That's
0: awesome. And uh, yeah, allowing people to manage their own failures, is really critical and uh, yeah, giving people last words if their character is dying, giving them a moment of agency over how badly they've. Oh, out.
1: there's far worse things than death. I, I like to, what an ominous maim. Thing to say! I love. <laughs> yes, yeah, so now you want to be as a dungeon master. Huh? <laughs> well, that's the thing is like you're playing a game and you're playing superheroes essentially. Your your characters are larger than life. Even at level one, they're still above uh, normal you know people. Mm-hmm. So like, empower them, make them, yeah, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. The Dungeon Master's Guide is a guide. You as a Dungeon Master say what comes and goes. So everything in it is like, okay, start here, but if the situation comes up that you need to start bending the rules a little bit, do it. I
0: love that, and that goes to a theme that we wanted to cover as well here, which is, uh, acceptance and the idea of accepting v- a huge spectrum of play styles, mm-hmm. how the game is played. You know, th- these books go out, and the game needs a dungeon master for a reason, which is the idea that a human being is accountable for running this experience mm-hmm. at every single table where the game is played. And I think that it's really special, and it means that the game has this incredible flexibility that, that. It surpasses sort of anything else we can do because it's always being retranslated and reunderstood from era to era.
1: That's why it's called the guide and not the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the first couple pages. It's like this is these are suggestions to play your game. Yeah. People uh, skip over those first couple pages. <laughs> it's really
0: critical. No, it's really important. Um, and in terms of like the age we find ourselves in now, I think it's awesome that we have all these different streams that are showing you different play styles, different house rules, and you see the incredible versatility and flexibility of the game. Like you were mentioning, like bylaws and uh, uh, there's like, a couple streams you were mentioning. Bylaws with, and order. Bylaws and order, which is like all about guilds and bureaucrats. Sirens is an all bard game, which is really fun, you know. And then Dimension Twenty, being under the banner of college humor hat and dropout, has this element of comedy to it. Where even the rules themselves are infused with a certain degree of understanding. If a thing is funny, it's gonna become more likely. Yeah, that succeed. wins. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> funny wins, right? Um, uh, what do you attribute this plethora of acceptance of these different play styles to?
1: Well, I think it's people weren't very accepting. Mm -hmm. Right, But because people are now able to see different play styles, now acceptance is more uh, something that we need need to focus on. Because everyone looks at Dungeons & Dragons like, this is my game. Mm -hmm. I play it right, and my way is the way, especially Dungeon Masters. This is how we do it, and this is how it should be done. Mm -hmm. But then you have all these streams, and the streams say, also this way, also this way. So now you have players who are watching all these streams, and they're like oh, but I wanna play that story. I wanna play with these kind of heavy rules. I want want the number crunch. I want the heavy role play. I want the comedy. So I think it's really important for people who are not live streaming to see those and figure out what they want. So I run a lot of games off camera uh, for my Patreon, Mm -hmm. and the first thing I say is, what do you guys want to play? Because I'm malleable. I yeah. just wanna be able to facilitate something for them. But if you have five people who wanna play one kind of game, maybe they wanna play a silly game, and then there's one person who wants to play something that's really heavy and very literal, like you need to be able to communicate that and everyone needs to start accepting what each other wants because they're, at the end of the day, somebody's gonna be upset Yeah, and everyone needs to be able to communicate what they want, what they don't want, so that that person can go find a group that they do want and then that opens a space for maybe somebody who's in another group who wants to be in that group to play.
0: It's really interesting. And we've had questions on the podcast before that amount to this reality, which is that this game can serve multiple needs. And as such, you need that level of communication between Mm -hmm. you and your players. You know, I've gotten questions sometimes because I have a play style that, again, is very focused on RP, is very focused on like adhering to like tone and mood and theme. And let's go to this world where things feel like this Uh, very RP heavy. So sometimes I'll get questions that will assume, like, cool. So I'm another RP guy. RP's the correct way to play. That being said, and I always have to go, well, no. This is what the present moment is. Yeah, and if there are players out there who love that heavy crunch, Go for it, and I'm also the. the, the, To me, all the different facets of the game, like I love that you mentioned being malleable, because to me, if someone goes like, "Hey, we're gonna do low RP. This is gonna be a crawl, and it's about the. We're gonna be very literal with the rules," I can find a way to have fun doing. Oh yeah, like I just designed this character for uh, uh, a a game that a friend of mine is running, that is like a gunslinger rogue, and. (laughs) Aside from RP, I was like, oh, this guy can put out, what, like 200 damage yeah. <laughs> in his first turn of combat? Hell yeah. And so there is, like, finding a way to be gratified by that only opens up more
1: avenues of fun. Absolutely. And so last night's game was one of my first dungeon crawls. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of my first. Yeah, actually, it was one of my first, because everything I do is very dreamy. Yeah. And what I liked was each character, and they'd never played before. The, there were two Sirens and two other players. Mm-hmm. and. They all attached two items to their character, and that was like two historical things about their character, and they got to place it in. So, you know, you had one character who, when he was fighting this big snake creature, he had flashbacks from the war, and then he role played it on his own. He rolled. He's like, okay, I'm gonna roll, and this is going to be if I have a flashback. Mm-hmm. And then he's a dungeon master. I would like to do. like I didn't know he was rolling for it. Yeah. He was doing that on his own. That's awesome. And so the other players took care of him while that was happening and so each one of them brought something like that into a dungeon crawl.
0: That's beautiful. <laughs> and that's really special. That's like yeah, we we had I love that. That's such a good tip for players and DMs alike to introduce those things because one thing that's really great about playing with comedians who even haven't played D&D before is that comedians have an inherent understanding of uh, how empowering it is to struggle! Like comedy is so much oh, about, yeah. like I'm slipping and falling in pie, like oh banana <laughs> peel, like. There's a love of failure in comedy, right? Yeah. And building those things into the character can be so gratifying. You know, in the first season, of Fantasy High which was the first season of Dimension 20. Uh, Siobhan's character, Adine, who's this elven wizard, she uh, was basically like, I would like my character to struggle with anxiety and to have an mm-hmm. actual anxiety condition within the game. And you know, we designed the condition together and kind of oh, talked about it great. a little bit. And it was awesome. And you know, a, a person that's playing solely for the sake of optimization would be like, Why would you include? this element, which can really only serve to stymie your character in a critical moment. And it was like, because it's deeply meaningful to the character
1: and to, yeah.
0: you know, like it's because that that is human.
1: Well, they have the traits, right? Yeah. So when you're making your character, um, I love D&D Beyond because it makes it like you're playing a video game, <laughs> which is my favorite part of video games character creation. <laughs> oh, the sliders, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I want to make your eyes a little like this. Um, but they have the traits. So there's um, things that are like your ideals and all these positive things and then they have flaws. So I learned from one of my friends who would give you bonuses the more flaws you took. (gasps) That's awesome. And I learned from that, and also it's basic storytelling, Yeah. right? You got your threshold guardian that gives you the challenges and you overcome those challenges and maybe you get a scar or a limp or whatever, but then you overcome that Mm -hmm. and it's just, Beautiful storytelling, and I don't think that it's just for dungeon masters to know. I think it's really good for like players to know, and for players to teach each other also.
0: Oh, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, in, uh, like if you're a DM and you're like skipping over that bonds, ideals, flaws section, I would say if you have a group of players that you really trust to you know characterize their characters, that's one thing. But it's such a great thing the game's provided mm-hmm. to key people into the role playing aspect, and I've been doing this. For basically my whole conscious life. And the degree to which the mechanical parts of the game, like that little bonds and ideals thing, or even like abilities, um, can give you still insight into character.
1: Backgrounds. It, backgrounds. Yeah.
0: Uh, so I play uh, my friend Nick Marini, who's a, a contestant on I'm actually runs a White Wolf Chronicle, runs oh, a World of Darkness Chronicle. Cool. Also, love it. Um, and I made this vampire character who's this, like, G- you know, Giovanni vampire. And there's flaws there where you get some extra freebie points and character mm-hmm. creation. Similar mechanical thing of you take flaws, you get to spend more points elsewhere. And I just t- I hadn't, like, cracked the character yet for myself. So I took this flaw, because I thought it was cool of, like, oh, this this vampire is going to be afraid of crucifixes and and clergy that are in their clerical stuff. That's and cool. Very fun. And I was like in the very first session we, I was just role playing, and one of those great moments of discovering a character in the actual role play, where someone said something, he reacted to a crucifix, and the character just went like, I'm still, I'm very Catholic, I'm still very in that. And it's like, oh, what does it mean to be a vampire <gasps> who still believes in God? And then all of a sudden, this one little mechanical oh detail, God, that's so cool. a little rule, and it was like, and it was funny too, because the vampire needed a reason to side with these mages and werewolves, and it was like, oh, all of vampire society society doesn't seem to care about religion or have an active way to worship and be a person of faith so this vampire is like I can't exist in vampire society because I have this oh wow and it was this one thing of a snowball effect of one little character sheet choice oh, goes cool. and snowballs into a full three-dimensional
1: so I have something for that um, one of the things I've learned in the last year is I don't This is going to sound really weird. I don't (laughs) trust players the first time they play with their character. And I tell them, I'm like, look, after the second session, we'll revisit your character. Because I got a feeling you're going to want to change some things. You're going to want to change your weapons. You're going to want to change maybe your whole class or your background. Because it's going to feel a little different. I mean, you're lucky if you don't and you just are committed to that character. But I see it so often where they're like, Actually, can I can I do this thing? I don't want this spell. I don't like this. And I'm like, okay, you got two sessions to play it. If you <laughs> if you want to change it after that, we're not going to. But you know, that it is out. the
0: best piece of advice I've ever heard. I literally <laughs> felt I like sighed so deeply when you said that. No, for real, because it is well. There's this this attitude because the nature of D and D is collaborative storytelling, and the inherent thrill of it is. I'm gonna improvise stuff, and once I've improvised it, the story's gonna move on, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that's part of the thrill of the game. But that being said, keeping it a little volcanic and and, and chimeric up in that first two sessions is so useful because, uh, and this is, this is a balance that every DM has to balance, which mm-hmm. is complete respect for players and their autonomy and agency, and also an adult mm. awareness <laughs> that sometimes people that are new yeah. to the thing won't know how to make themselves have a good time. Yeah, And, and you have to be able to, Do this Mm -hmm. of going like, hey, I respect you and your choices, but also this is a new thing. You might make a choice that you later regret just from a lack of familiarity.
1: Yeah. And then the other thing is, you as a character grow because of the people you're with, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't like to play where everyone meets for the first time. In my session zeros, I have everyone, okay, let's discuss how we met. Cool. All right. But then, like, what was that thing that happened that bonded you? Yeah everyone tell me because and tell each other so they'll build on it you know, maybe if it's a group of six people, I'll pair them off three and three. Mm-hmm. You guys already know each other. Tell me how you know each other. Yeah. And then maybe they go on an adventure. Uh, when I do conventions, you know, you've got what three to four hour game. These mm-hmm. people have never met before, so I run them through questions like, "You've been adventuring for three years together, so you know each other. You, um, but this one time you were camping in the forest, this monster came in. Tell me what the monster was." And I have them build the monster. They're mm-hmm. like, "Okay, it was this. Why was it mutated? What extra limb did?" it have mm-hmm. and it chased you and one of you sacrificed yourself. Yeah. And who was that? Everyone lost something valuable on their character sheet. I'll give them like advantage. Um, I'll give them inspiration while they're playing so, but they'll like lose swords, mm-hmm. like signet rings from their mother, yeah. you know, like really important items that, to their character and then they all get away, somebody stays behind, fights or runs or whatever, and then that person, everyone's sitting there, they all know the reality of what happened. I say, okay, a week later, you make it back to the group. What did you tell them? <laughs> and so they know what, they, what happened, and then that person either lies, yeah. embellishes, or whatever, and so that kind of establishes the group, and I do that in five minutes.
0: That is so fucking cool.
1: And that way you have player buy-in because you're playing a cooperative game Mm -hmm. and you want people to play together. You want them to start reacting to each other because a lot of times people, um, players, they're so focused on what to do next with their character sheet. They don't know their characters very well. Mm -hmm. They don't know their spells very well. So in combat, they're not used to hearing each other. Yeah. So by getting them to do that, and I do a lot of eye contact, Yeah. they actually start making decisions based off of what other people are doing. Do you know how amazing it is when people (laughs) put their phones down? And they're actually like waiting to hear what their friends are doing. Like, I care about your character. Oh my God, why would you make that decision? I'm gonna go help you.
0: That is so profound. It's really true, and I think what I love about that too is, Motivation is a huge part of what makes these adventures so gripping and identifying with what your character's going for. And I think there's an element of stillness or staticness in a lot of characters where you create a snapshot and there's no history. Weirdly, I know that, and there's, there's different camps on how much backstory is effective or not effective. To me, backstory creates dynamic movement mm-hmm. because if i can track the trajectory of where i came from i can track the trajectory of where i'm going if i don't have any of that i have i'm totally inert you know, I'm an unmoving object, right? And having that shared backstory is so critical and so fun. And doing that session zero, uh, uh, for me, I do a lot of prologue. When I do a session one, I will literally do a, which takes more time, obviously, but I'll do a little ten to fifteen minute scene with every single person yes. of like their family, what they, yes. what they, you know, like what's getting them motivated. Why are you adventuring?
1: It's about why. It's why? It's why are you here in the first place? It's crazy to go (laughs) in
0: a dungeon and try to get treasure. There's easier ways to make a living. What is your problem that you're here? (laughs) Yeah, there is some deep-seated shit that your (laughs) ranger, wizard, whatever needs to work on because this is ill-advised. So yeah, but having that motivation is really, really key and it clues everybody in. And then having everyone care about each other is so huge, too. I think that is extremely tangible, actionable advice, which is what we like to give people. Mm -hmm. Um, We're gonna move ahead. Uh, So uh, if you're watching this uh, vodcast, on YouTube, you could've watched it two weeks earlier on Dropout, Uh, dropout dropout.tv, go check it out. Um, uh, All of our user questions are submitted over our exclusive Dropout Discord. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So if you wanna submit questions to Adventuring Academy, you you gotta sign up for Dropout. Um, This first question comes to us from uh, Dockleby. Thanks, Dockleby. Um, Once your take on character XP, short for experience points, I often feel like using XP as explained in the book leads to a heavier focus on killing as many enemies as possible rather than interacting with the world. It also leads to some anticlimactic level ups that don't feel earned through narrative. This is a great question. Thanks, Taco yeah.
1: Yep, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um I haven't used that since the 90s. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're milestone exclusive. Absolutely. And even my like the sirens don't level at the same time. Sometimes Whoa. they don't show up. Sometimes like one of the characters is so involved, she wants to hang out after like she wants to hang out on other days and do more character exploration. On one I do one-on-ones with them too. Awesome. Um so that person put more time into their character, they're gonna level faster. Uh, some people just wanna sit there and they don't level as fast. So I think rewarding them for the deeds they do.
0: Wow, very, very cool. This is such a rich topic, I wanna really dig into this. So first of all, for those watching at home that might not know, um, in the book, there uh, in, in Dungeons and Dragons and in a lot of games, video games across the board, um, you will be granted a reward of experience points when your heroes defeat certain monsters, you know, conquer certain traps, et cetera, et cetera. Some DMs will often offer role-playing awards or ad hoc role-play XP awards, but even those uh, tend to, to be dwarfed by the much larger combat XP awards, yeah. uh, and this is the mechanism by which characters tend to level up. Uh, what Satine's talking about, these milestone rewards, is a, a little bit of a groovier system, uh, at least in my <laughs> opinion, I do a lot of, I do Done stuff as well in Dimension Twenty. It's exclusively milestone. We're just they level up after every two episodes, uh, so it's sort of a fixed thing because we
1: know how many episodes we're going to do in a given season. That's really important, actually. Yeah. Um, so for Sirens, I want them to feel their characters. I want them to explore their spells because mm-hmm. if people level too fast, they don't get to be that character in that moment. And when um, so we've got you know twelve to sixteen episodes, they might level during that camp that. Season, mm-hmm. or they might not level to the end.
0: Yeah. So that's great. Uh, uh, I love that. And it's very, um, you know, Dimension 20 is by design of the show, just a very fast paced, like, we're going to tell a full story. We got, you know, for the side quest, six episodes. Like, we're going to be here for 12 hours and then we're done. We're really yeah, done. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, of speed built into that. Other campaigns that I've run, you know, you'll go many sessions without leveling up. Um, th- I'm going to talk about a couple. Th- so, one thing I want to introduce is. Any single instance that is introduced mechanically into the rules of your world impacts the narrative in unexpected ways. <laughs> yeah. For example, right? Uh, in fifth edition d and we've talked about this before, uh, nine of the 12 player character hero classes use charisma, strength, and dexterity as their main scores. Overwhelmingly, d and heroes are strong, fast, and hot, and not very smart. Yeah. Right? Overwhelmingly because of the mechanics of the game impacting the world, just statistically. Similarly, if you're a character in a D&D world and someone asks you like, what do clerics tend to be good at, probably you'd be like well they tend to be good at insight, sensing motives, they're very mm-hmm. perceptive because wisdom correlates to those skill checks. So there's ways that you may not even think about it that the rules are impacting day to day living in the world. For XP, if you do exclusively combat XP every single wizard academy in your world should say, greetings students, welcome to Wizard Academy. Today we're going to go slaughter goblins. Yep. And you go like, why, shouldn't we be reading? It's like, reading? You're not gonna get good at magic from reading, my man. You gotta get out there and fucking kill people. You wanna get good at magic, people gotta die.
1: I really wanna play with you.
0: Done, let's do it, You're, you heard it here first. Um, but for real, because like if if the if the only way people can get XP is through killing yeah. people, that should be true kind of generally in your universe. Maybe it's not, but.
1: Yeah, well people, like once they get the taste for blood, then they're like, I'm gonna go hunt a monster and I'm gonna get treasure. I'm gonna trade that treasure in for XP. That's what I remember. Yeah and i'm like no yeah. you get back out there and you talk to people <laughs> you go back out there and i actually encourage them to find ways to avoid killing cool. because you know there's an entire environment yes you got a dragon mm-hmm. but what's on the walls what's on the ceiling what's around it what's it guarding yeah. you know what are the other ways to get what you want other than just killing this thing.
0: And what's really true about that I think too is again like the strength of D&D and I think you know the, especially with how 5e was redesigned is it is you and your friends at a table creating the feeling of living in a story together. Mm-hmm. And if you Think and dwell on what is meaningful to you on a personal level about stories. It's not like, man, you know what I love about Star Wars? Luke was better at lightsabers at the end than he was at the beginning. And you're like, no, yeah. that's not. <laughs> it's a, it's a deep emotion. It's a pathos to the world that, uh, uh, you know, there's an element of making sure that these characters. Um, have that meaningful story growth, uh, and that you're rewarding what you want to see, which yeah. is just true for life, Re- reward what you want to see. Um,
1: well, it's easy to, to put XP, XP on bad guys, but it's harder to put XP on um, uh, exploration yeah. encounters and social interactions.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, uh, big spoiler for the season one of Fantasy High that came out. If, but if if we had been doing XP in that setting, there's a moment where one of the characters made a choice to kill his father because his father was his father was making death saving throws, was already on the way out, but had been he was like a legendary warrior, and his son was basically like, oh. I know you'd rather die by my hand than oh. this. Thing that killed you, and it, it, it was this incredible move that was so unexpected and beautiful, and if we were awarding XP, I would have to, as a reasonable dungeon master, go, that deserves as much of a experience point award as the fact that you've defeated X, Y, or Z yeah. hobgoblin. because
1: you're defeating the monster within. Oh! Oh!
0: And of course, we mean skeletons. Um, no, that's <laughs> a joke for Alphonse over here. Uh, you know, the real monster within. <laughs> <laughs> He's all right. Um, uh, uh, That's beautiful. (laughs) There's something else you mentioned that I really want to cover because this can be like loaded territory for people that are like old school players, which is um, asymmetry amongst characters in terms of their level. I'm gonna go on record and say I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Um, what is the element of that play at your table, and do you take any measures ahead of time to guard against people that have walked in with balance as a preconceived notion?
1: Nope, it's like positive <laughs> reinforcement. You reward one person for doing the uh, amazing role playing and going above and beyond, and everyone's like, I wanna, I wanna do that, I want the reward. <sighs> I want that thing that she got. (laughs) I
0: love that. It's subtle. Very
1: subtle. Because you you don't want to punish them. You don't want to make them feel bad for not doing the thing.
0: Right. So you're never taking away something from one of the people out there. You're just offering it to people that have done something that's exceptional. I love that. I think that's really beautiful. I think that if you have a table of people that are in that moment, that's great. I would say just make sure if you have players that are coming from a game where they have, for whatever reason, an expectation of Mm -hmm. character balance to Bridge that gap with your players and be like, "Hey, here's how we're doing stuff in this campaign."
1: Man, you gotta you gotta front load everything. So I got in a car accident in 2015. I had re- I had really bad brain damage. Some days I'm on it. I am sharp as a tack. Other days, I need someone else to do initiative. Someone has to um, keep track of conditions. I say that in, before every single game. I say it on the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I tell them what to expect from me, yeah. and I t- I ask them. I'm like, "How are you today? Yeah. How are you? What do you want to do?" And some people who are usually really vocal and they are performing, maybe that day they're like not feeling it so much. Yeah. So you gotta have a session zero before every show, yeah, for every um, game. Mm-hmm. But also really establish things in that very very first session zero. What are your boundaries? Where yeah. can we go? Where can't we go? And everyone's got to hear it. Mm-hmm. I establish like there are no stupid questions and I will say the stupid questions first. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'll say, okay, well, I don't know. Here's an idea and here's, uh, I I put myself out there. We are in a vulnerable space. In the real world, we're adults. We have responsibilities. We have to keep our chin up and we have to be the badasses. But we're around this table yeah. and suddenly we're all 12. <laughs> and we have to be okay and hold each other's hands while we're being 12. I love that. I run a
0: lot of sessions for new players because I I sort of straddle this world between big geek nerd stuff and then I'm also very much in the comedy world so I have a ton of like UCB comedians being like, hey, let me play, I never played before, can I play? So I run a lot of sessions for people that have never played before and realize how much you need to break down the game. There are Mm -hmm. no stupid questions. When I play with new players, I don't go like, okay, you're gonna roll up your characters, you can be an elf or a dwarf. Too far, too far already. Scale back. This is a game where the goal of the game is for us to tell a cool story together. There is no winning or losing. It's not like a board game where somebody wins or loses at the end. Instead, successes and victories are spread throughout when your character does stuff that you find to be cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll be playing a character I'm gonna be arbitrating the world. The dice come in at moments of very high stakes. Like, really
1: breaking the game or because- really low stakes, and that's funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna to roll to see if this soup is good.
1: Oh, nah. my girls had a uh, food fight. <laughs> and they had to roll, it was amazing. I have these, um, these two guys in my, one of my new games. They wanted to be brother and sister. Mm-hmm. One was a tiefling, one was an Azimar. And the tiefling's like, can I have wings, please? Because I think this would be really cool. I'm like, of course
0: yeah duh uh, of course you yeah, yeah, have some wings that's the brother and sister I love that that's great that's well, that is a that yeah honestly, that's rad as hell uh uh oh, that's a very cool now I want to know more about that <laughs> um uh I love that so much um, I'll point out too that that I think the level split does interesting things for your story as long as the players are all on board uh so I've been running a three point five campaign for. It'll be ten years June, oh Ten years <laughs> long. Wow. The main crew of PCs are 17th level. Nice. We've done so many spin-offs and one offs on it that each player has like five or six characters in the setting to the point where they're playing like there's almost as many PCs as NPCs now. That's great. Yeah, because we just have been like, like okay, we want to do this. like one character can't make it, we don't want to continue the main story without them. Let's examine this city we never got to explore as much. Mm-hmm. Go make six level PCs. The main cast of PCs are seventeenth level now, which in 3.5 d d is demigod status. Yeah. And uh, what's really fascinating is, there was not a total party kill, but a total party defeat mm-hmm. by a wizard that captured one of them and captured one of them in a, in a, a binding because one of them was part angel and could be bound as an extra planar entity one of them was an actual demigod who's almost invincible except for banishment because it's like hey you belong in your divine realm this like 20th oh. level bad guy wizard sends them back to their divine realm they're gone for 24 hours but then they do a greater bestow curse where if the god returns their mortal ally dies so now oh. the god doesn't want to return oh. so like all effectively TPKs the party except for this uh the party's archer who is permanently blinded but escapes on foot through the jungle and it's this oh my god that's an amazing story
1: by the way oh, it was it was
0: <laughs> it was horrifying but the the archer gets out there and is like scratched by thorns her pegasus has this a spell that takes many rounds to, to fix but t- it's called call to stone that over rounds turns the pegasus to stone oh. so she has this moment in the swamp where the pegasus is like i'll wait for you oh. and turns to stone it's like dark knight of the soul times 10 That's beautiful uh but then she this like little moment of hope where this little fairy that she can summon tells her like oh your your like long lost love isn't dead that was a cl- that was a doppelganger just masquerading as him he's alive somewhere else and she's like i'm going to ra- rescue him blind in the swamp going like I'm gonna get him. So what we did was we the next couple sessions, everyone else's character was out of the picture. And I was like, I want you guys to roll up a bunch of fifth level characters. And so there's this storyline, and they all rolled up characters that were uniquely suited to find the missing character. There was like a, a, a Kuotoa Private Eye. There was a halfling like inventor. Uh, there was this like mithril warforged golem. They all had these skill Aww. sets. And then they were helping this 70 level archer character, all played by the players that had been that character. You know, like this is the same players. And what ends up happening in that story is it was so fun because we all agreed to it. These fifth level characters were great at like tracking down clues and then a fight would break out and this 17th level archer would unload <laughs> and it was almost like the Junior League, Justice League people. This is a TV show by the way. <laughs> That sounds like an amazing TV show.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Uh, it, it, I mean, we love it, and it's. But it is that moment of like, there is something fun about like, what happens if like, yeah, it's like you know Jessica Jones and Luke Cage with you know Thor and the Incredible Hulk, and yeah. you have this power differential where it's like we're all having a great time playing together, and then we get into a fight, and this Archer unloads, and because we've all agreed to it, that level split becomes. A facet of storytelling.
1: Well, that's real life, right? So you have people in your 20s and 30s, and then you have friends that are in your 50s or 60s, and they always underestimate the people in the 50s and 60s. (laughs) Those people have experience that should be learned from. And Mm -hmm. what I like about um, you know uh, level differentials is people start learning from each other. Yeah. So having the like, five <laughs> fifth level characters in the mm. 17, like that is such a good character development. I mean, that would actually speed up character development because it gives the characters a perspective they might not normally have as like, oh, if I live long enough, I could get there.
0: Yeah, and it's also one of those funny things where over the course of the campaign, if you're playing with very high level PCs, they've probably become legendary and they're heroes and whatever. But they're still all buds with each yeah. other, so they're just like, "Hey, it's still us." In this session, where we, we were in a couple sessions with it was the archer with these new recruits, like like young beginning adventurers, Fresh. and they were like, "Golly, ma'am, the legendary Alexandria Teratea. I'll be you're the most famous, you're the most wanted woman on the continent, you know, like." And it was like, oh, I guess we are like tough shit. I guess we are cool as hell. Which, having that level split allows people to play that. And of course, it was funny because all the people playing the noobs were still the players of the yeah. old 70th level characters. So they were like hamming it up extra. Like I can't imagine being that powerful. <laughs> Meanwhile, your powerful wizard is off <laughs> somewhere else. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of fun to be mined there. Um, let's see here. This one's from Steven. Thanks, Steven. What is your advice when it comes to character and class customization when it's branching outside of the standard template? Uh, this is much like the wings for the tiefling. Yeah. Are there any rules you have as a DM when PCs do this and what do you think are some good criteria for PCs to have in order to prevent them creating an overcomplicated or an
1: overpowered character? Couple <laughs> of issues there. I, I don't judge, but I do give the mom eyes. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, Sure, cause, so I usually give my players magic weapons Yeah, and they're like uh can I have this magic weapon and I'm like seriously I'm not gonna say no but what I will say is um this is what it does right now mm-hmm. I want a sentient weapon do you really because <laughs> sentient weapons are usually really smart and yes it, this is it has all this power but what does it do now so um to go along with that mindset when um my Players want to do something that's outside of the norm. I try to make it work with them, um, for them, but then with the other players. Yeah. So, Ghost, yeah. everyone's favorite disaster sprite. She's half sprite, half moon elf. You do the math. <laughs> D- don't actually, don't do the math. <laughs> but she came up with this backstory of why it might work. And then I asked Chris Lindsay at Wizards, it's like, is this a thing? Could this work? It's like, yeah. I'm like, but I don't want her to fly. We have an Arakokra because mm. that would be weird. Essentially, we made her a gelfling. Cool. She has these wings that, you know, it'll help her glide, but she can't actually fly. Cool. So it'll give her almost like a feather fall every once in a while, and she has to roll really high. You yeah. Know? So you can have things, but you have to earn things. So at level three or level five, maybe, you know, this the wings don't work, but maybe at level 10 they do. Yeah. You know, if you keep trying to use them, one player wanted a, he wanted a flock of familiars. I was like, well, right now you don't have one, yeah. but if that's what you want to explore during the campaign, then yeah, sure. Yeah. So customize as a goal. I love
0: that, and I think too the the mom eyes is a very funny point because I think what the mom eyes is about there is also the thing of because it's like, hey, we're gonna be very chill. I'm not. We're not running a very heavy crunch game, so you know I'll be loose. And when a player comes to you and they're like, yeah man, I'm super not about crunch either. Can I have an Oathbreaker, Super Vengeance, Double Axe? And you're like, okay, you're (laughs) acting like we're being chill right now, but you seem to like the crunch of it. Yeah. So the the question there is, if a PC is coming to you and asking for an OP thing, but it's clear that it's about the role play of it. For example, like I had a character in mind that's like a, a halfling, um, a halfling druid uh, that is like still the the prince of this halfling kingdom and wanted to inherit this dope sword. And I was like, cool, this specific sword is like a plus five holy Avenger. you know it's a broken sword And I was like, but this character's a druid. their base attack bonus is not as high as anyone else. Most of the time they're gonna be wild shaped And I was like all this is gonna do is make them, in the ballpark of as effective at fighting as the fighter characters, and even then not fully as much. So you're balancing OP with like, oh, it might be a broken sword, but for this character, it's not gonna break the game.
1: And it's a guide, right? So mm-hmm. everything that's in the book is a guide. The yeah. dungeon master can say, okay, you want this ring of uh, X-ray vision that is works whenever you want it to work? Mm-hmm. Well, it might work once per long rest.
0: Yeah, you can adjust, you can modify. Mm-hmm. And what I love too is sometimes we get scared of powers like that, but what I love that 5e did with cantrips is the idea of, because back in 3.5 the game was so stingy yeah. about <laughs> like, about like whoa, throwing a bolt of fire at someone, you can't just do that whenever. And then someone like leans in and goes like, People that have crossbow bolts actually tend to do more damage. This firebolt is really not as broken yeah, exactly. as you think <laughs> it's not as broken as you yeah. think it is. And you're like, oh, yeah, firebolt away. Because yeah. it does become just about flavor at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about over overcomplicated and overpowered. Uh overcomplicated is an interesting point too, because sometimes if you're throwing so many powers on a person, these characters just become uh, like top heavy with how many powers they have to cast. So a lot of times when I am giving a power to someone, I I will be thinking in my head of does this streamline, like I tend not to give staves out or things that are like, hey, you got ten extra spells you can cast. Yeah, I like that things, bugs me. Yeah, I, I like <laughs> things that are intuitive and simple. Ring of water breathing, mm-hmm. real simple. You're never gonna break an encounter by being able to breathe water. It's never like, well, they killed the villain because they were able to breathe all that water. You know? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's
1: just a gimme. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah. So for bar for my bards, and this mm-hmm. is just for my bard game. If they're they have healing spells, right? Mm-hmm. So if I know this is not how you're supposed to do it, but a uh, healing word, mm-hmm. they better sing that word. <laughs> and you have to be able to hear it, because usually it's supposed to pull, the, it's the word, it's divine energy or whatever, yeah. but if, you, if I'm singing to somebody that's like 30 feet away, um, I need, they need to hear me. Yeah. So it doesn't work if you're unconscious. Yep. Like they need to be actively listening to you. So, wow. And that's something that I changed for my bard band. Cool. You know, and if I make them tell me their spells, there's uh Girassol does a, a thunderclap. Cool. No, no, uh, a thunder wave. Yeah. She turned it into heat wave. So she does this thing where it works so she runs up and slides on her knees and then Cool. So twisting it around, making things their own. Uh, Each person, because they're all bards, so they have uh, cure wounds, Mm -hmm. but each one of them describes it differently. It looks different.
0: And that's something I think that for DMs watching at home you really can take in is, when a PC is asking you for some accommodation like this, don't be quick to say no, because there are so many things that are just flavor, yeah. that are just a flavor difference, and go like, is this actually going to impact my game that much, versus how much of a benefit it will provide to my player to have that um, aspect to their character that they're really looking for.
1: It's less um, yes anding, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, sure, and also this. It's more like, well, how about this?
0: Yeah, yes, but can be awesome. Because again, just coming full circle to talking about flaws just wanted and stuff. to say
1: but. What's that? You just wanted to say but. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> guess we have fun here on the VOD. Um, uh, no, but there is an element of uh, looking at those caveats as being really exciting because they do provide those flaws mm-hmm. and those scary things, right? Um, giving someone a really powerful magic item if that's what they want and making it cursed or making it have some bloodlust effect, or something like that, it does the job you're looking for. Um, and I think again, uh, uh, magic items is one thing, and then character templates is another thing mm-hmm. as well, where like allowing people to custom homebrew an archetype, uh, uh, to a subclass for their class. Uh, can be really, really helpful and constructive in making someone have that character do what they want it to do. And as long as you're eyeballing the other subclasses in that class and going, is the thing I'm making so broken that it would be crazy to pick something else?
1: Also, you better give me a reason. Right. You better make that background, because you can't just say, wouldn't it be cool if? Like, Sure, that would be cool. But does that make sense for your character?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if
1: you want it to, you better build it.
0: Yes, I agree 100%. Um, Well, uh, guys, it's been, uh, uh, we're already at an hour. I don't know I I can't believe (laughs) that literally (laughs) flew by. Uh, We only got time, we only had uh, two questions, but uh, Satine, what an absolute pleasure and an honor having you on our show. Thank you, you're wonderful to talk to. Let's do it more. (laughs) I agree with that. I cannot wait to play. That would be so much fun. Guys, this has been Adventuring Academy. I guess it's been Satine Phoenix. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. This has been a Dropout podcast. For video of today's show plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.